The following audio is from Grace City Church in San Diego, California. More information about Grace City Church is available at gracecitysd.com. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride of life, is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. All right, let's pray. Lord, uh, we just thank you that you are eternal. God, we thank you that you never pass away and that we have hope in you, that we have hope because of Jesus. Um, God, I pray that you would convict our hearts today of um, areas in our life where our passions are not set on you. Um, Lord, I pray that you would speak through Randall today. I pray that you would uh, just give him a good word to share with us today, and we would take something home with us. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. Thanks, Brooke. Happy birthday, Ethan. All right. Well, um, glad that you're here this morning. Welcome. My name is Randall. I'm the lead pastor of Grace City. And, um, you know, we celebrated three years um, a few weeks ago, and um, since we celebrated three years as a church, uh, we've been going through this series now called The Struggle is Real. You know, it's, it's like um, when we get into October, November, December, um, anxiety levels, depression, all of these things start to go up. It, it feels like there are, are things that are coming into our lives that can overwhelm us quickly, and so uh, when we read the Bible, we, we should ask ourselves, okay, what are some of those, those issues or those problems or those things that are coming at us? Um, and, and so the Bible gives us some clarity and some help to understand it. And, and so today our text is First uh, John 2, 15 through 17. And so we're going to be studying this short section of Scripture um, and, um, you know, usually at Grace City, we, we go through books of the Bible, but, but specifically for this series, um, we've gone more into a, a topical type of preaching. Um, but here's what I want you to know. Whenever um, we go through the scriptures, um, we go through it in a way where it is, it is anchored in scripture. And so I don't, I don't come up with these ideas Right, like out of my brain, like, oh yeah, this is, this is what I think I should preach on today. But it, it is anchored in the word of God. And so we value the word of God. And so that's why when you come into Grace City, we say, hey, open up your Bibles. And so we are looking at, at 1 John 2 today. And, um, and so the message is this. You know, last week we talked about the inward struggle that you and I have. There's an inward battle that we have. Uh, but today we're going to be talking about the external struggle that we face, the external struggle. And, uh, and so, uh, you know, that, that, that's what we're going to talk about today. And that's what it talks about here in, in 1 John 2. Uh, in 2007, there was a movie that came out called Into the Wild. And it's about the life of a man named Christopher McCandless. Now, after McCandless uh, graduated uh, from college uh, in 1990, uh, his car was found abandoned and money um, that he had collected over the years had been burned up and he just disappeared. Uh, over the time uh, that he lived from beyond 1990 into 1992, he changed his name and he 
desired to travel and to see what life was truly about. In many ways, he wanted to reject the, the ways in which the world operated. He said, I don't want to operate out of the system in which this world operates. And so I want to find out what life is really about. Now, in August uh, 1992, uh, it was found in one of his journals that he wrote this. He says, two years he has walked the earth. And he's talking about himself. No phone, no pool, no pets, no cigarettes. Uh, ultimate freedom, an extremist, an aesthetic voyager whose home is the road, escaped from Atlanta, thou shalt not return because the West is the best. And some of you are like, yes. <laughs> and now after two years of rambling comes the final and greatest adventure, the climactic battle to kill the false being within and victoriously conclude the spiritual pilgrimage. 10 days and nights of freight trains and hitchhiking bring him to the great white north, no longer to be poisoned by civilization, he flees and walks alone upon the land to become lost in the wild. He was found, um, he had died alone, August 1992. And so that picture that was up was the last picture of Christopher McCandless. Um, that's a known picture of him. And one of the things that we see in his life is that he, he realized something about the world, right? He realized this as he looked at uh, things in his life, um, he believed that his family is very materialistic. And so he looked at his family, he says, I don't want to be that. And so he tried to, to run as, as far as he could because he said, that's what is destroying my family. And we say, well, that's one response, right? You can run from the world. But I want to say like ever since Genesis chapter three, what we see is the response has been naturally to run. And so what we see in his family's case is they ran to the comforts of the world. And we see that McCandless, he looked at that and he said, that's not what I believe. And so I'm going to run away from the world. But then Jesus says something like, you are in the world, but not of the world. And so what we see in scriptures, it's not running to the world or not running from the world, but how do we live with the struggle being in the world? And how does Jesus help us to see that underneath, yes, there is a root problem, but how do we struggle in a way that honors God? Not running from the world, not running to the world, but running to God. See, last week we talked about the root struggle that we've had since the garden, all humanity, it's this, it's sin. And some may ask, well, what is sin? What is that? Well, you can identify sin by the middle letter of sin, and it is this, it's the letter I. It's the letter I. It's living a life that is all about me. And see, from the beginning, we weren't made to live like that. And so it was in perfect order. The world was in perfect order in Genesis 1 and 2. But then when we get to Genesis chapter 3, and the world was tempted, you know, Adam and Eve were tempted to believe that it was all about them. 
that things got distorted. You see, Martin Luther says this. He says, the sin underneath all our sins is to trust the lie of the serpent, that we cannot trust the love and grace of Christ and must take matters into our own hands. It's to believe that I have control and I have a grip on my life. It's believing that it's all about me. And see, there are three ways in which we can be tempted to live this type of life where we think that it's all about us. Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 is what I laid out last week as really the, the guide, guiding outline for, for what we see throughout Scripture is our struggle. And so Ephesians 2, 1 through 3 tells us, it says, and, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. And then it lays it out, following the course of this world. So that's what we're talking about today. Following the prince of the power of the air, which we're going to talk about next week. And then down in verse three, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh. So that's what we talked about last week. It says, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind and we're by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. See again, what's our struggle? Well, it's the flesh, it's the world, and yes, it's the devil. There is a supernatural element to it in which it's hard for us to understand. Us postmodern people, Westerners, it's hard for us to understand the supernatural, but it is real and it's there. And we'll talk about it next week. But here's our text for today. 1 John 2, 15 through 17. So just to give some context, uh, the apostle John was one of Jesus's closest disciples. He, he, he was Jesus's closest friend on earth. And John, uh, the apostle, is, is writing post-Jesus' death, burial, resurrection now to a church um, of Christians who were most likely probably not popular in their culture because they were Christians, but they weren't under persecution for their beliefs. And so for this church, they were under the great temptation to compromise with the values of the world and to reject God and his ways. They were in great temptations to say, okay, yeah, I guess it is about me. And then it isn't about God. And so very much so, I think in many ways, we can relate to the church that John is writing to. And so how does John describe the, the battle, the struggle in this world? Well, from this text, he does this in three ways. And the first one is this. He does this by sharing about the divide, the divide. Second, it's the distinctives. And third, it's the decision. The divide, the distinctives, and the decision, if you're taking notes today. And so the first point that we see from verse 15 is this, the divide. So here's what it says in verse 15. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now, in this verse, we need to ask two important questions about some words that, that John uses here. The first one is this. For, he says, do not love the world or the things in the world. So he's talking about loving the world. Now, what, what's the word for the world that's used here? It's the word cosmos. And so the word for co that, that's used in the original language points to the material world per se, in not only the material world, but instead the, the order of the world in which it is right now in its present state without God. Its present state without God, 
right? So it is the material things. And so C.H. Dodd says this about this word. He says, this is, the org- this is the world that is organized on wrong principles, characterized by desires, false values, and egoism. And so that is what John is talking about here when he's talking about the world, because, or loving this world, right? Because some of you might say, well, I thought we were supposed to love the world, I thought we were supposed to love people in the world, right? Like, that, that's what it's, John, John, didn't you say in John 3, 16, that God so loved the world that he gave his only son? Is John contradicting himself here? No, he's not. So God loves the world, but the present way in which it's living without him and it's destroying lives, he doesn't love that. Right, that, that, that is not, and, and so followers of Jesus should look at the world and say, there is something wrong. Right, like one of the things that people say, well, what was it that, that really broke up Christopher McCandless so much that he just ran and ran and ran? They said it was probably because he found out that his father had a second family that he'd never told them about. And so he's living a double life and he found out about that and he was broken to pieces. Right, there is a brokenness in this world when we look at it and we say, hold on. What? Why is this happening? Commentator on this text, William Barclay, says the world in this passage does not mean the world in general, for God loved the world he made. It means the world which is in fact had forgotten the God who made it. We've forgotten the God who made it. And so we are living in a way where God is not present and we don't have him at the center of it. And what happens is disorder. Disorder. Chaos. Right, this week I was walking into my son's room. I've got three kids. My son is eight years old. And I walked into his room and... I looked around because I was just grabbing something for him really quickly, right? I was just grabbing his jacket. I got to get his jacket. I couldn't find his jacket because the room was a total mess. I looked around. I'm like tripping over things. I'm like, what is going on? And I'm looking around and I say, Kai, what has happened in your room? It just looks like an explosion happened in here. This is not how this room is meant to be because... Three weeks ago, I was in there helping him clean up every square inch of that room. And I did most of the cleaning. To the point where he comes up to me afterwards and says, Dad, thanks for doing that. I actually really have a nice room. I was like, yeah, you do. You have your own room. Like, you have a very nice room. You should take care of that room. See, what happens when a father is not in the picture? Chaos and disorder. Right, in that room, it is just a mess. In this world, without our Heavenly Father at the center of it, putting the pieces together, it is a mess. It's a mess. And so as we look at the world in its current order right now, John is saying, do not love that. Don't love the way that it is. 
And the word he uses here is agape. And so what this word means is this ongoing action of love for the world. Like, yeah, this is the way it's just meant to be. This is how it is. And here's the thing. As we see a world without God and we're putting ourselves at the center, it's really starting to destroy our lives. And, and, and there are major effects to it. In 2013, there was an article written in Time Magazine called Millennials, the Me, Me, Me Generation. And uh, the author, Joel Stein, writes, here's the cold, hard data. The incidence of narcissistic personality disorder is nearly three times as high for people in their 20s as for the generation that's now 65 or older. According to the National Institute of Health, 58% of more college students score higher on narcissism scale in 2009 than in 1982. And the U.S. millennials are the children of baby boomers who are also known as the me generation, who then produced the me, me, me generation, whose selfishness technology is only exacerbated. Okay, so it's like, oh, are you just picking on millennials? Like, here's the thing. I'm like right there with you, okay? But we got to see the facts. As we keep pushing this world in the order of the world where we say, yeah, you should be at the center. You, 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 it's all about you. What we're seeing is it's, it's destroying us. It's destroying us. And John is saying there is a divide. And the divide he's talking about is between a world filled with disorder and chaos with me at the center, which we talked about, sin, right? Sin is just I at the center versus the original intended order, God's way, where God's at the center. See, because when God's at the center, chaos and disorder actually starts to be brought back into order. That's what creation is. God just speaks and he brings creation into order and being. And so after explaining that, John gives both a warning. He says, do not love the world or the things in the world and then he gives this condition. He says, if anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. He's very clear about the divide, right? It's like you can have the love of the Father in you that brings order into your life, or you can say, nope, I don't want that, God. I don't want that. I want it my way, right? There is a divide. And John is making that very clear in this verse here. And then secondly, we see the distinctives. And what I mean by distinctives is, okay, well, what does it look like to be a person that loves the world? Well, here's what he says in verse 16. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And so he breaks it down for us here. He says, okay, first one is this, the, the desires of the flesh. He says, this is a life dominated by the senses. He says, whether it's food, luxury, selfish, just with my possessions, ignoring God in my life, disregard for spiritual values. Here's the thing. When most people think of even our area, right, within San Diego, I've been told this multiple times. People say, well, Randall, that area doesn't need anything. They have it all. We've got great education, We've got the mega mall down the street. I mean, we've got the beach right there. Amazing weather. Like, what do we need? What do we need? 
and I say, we need God. <laughs> we need God. But what the desires of the flesh are is saying, no, we've got everything we need. We don't need God. Second, he breaks it down. He says, the desires of the eyes. This is being captivated by the outward show. This is about just putting on a performance and having a perfect Instagram account. And this is the facade of who I am. And I've got it all together. And you have to look that you don't need God. I don't know why this week I was looking at Justin Bieber's Instagram. I do not know why, but I just happened to be on there. And I'll tell you what, here's the thing. That dude's Instagram is not like, wow, that picture is amazing. It's like blurry pictures and different things on there. And I'm like, but you know the thing about him though? Like from what I hear, he says he loves Christ. And he's a Christian. He's like, I'm not playing any games anymore. And he's not putting on that facade he is not perfect by any stretch of the imagination. But here's the thing. Like when, when we're talking about the desires of the eyes, it's just saying, you know what? Like I'm not going to put on a show anymore. He's like, that is the, that's the temptation that the world will put you under. Is you just got to put on this show all the time. And lastly, he says the pride of life. Now, the, the word for this, the, the pride is the, the, the alazonia. And, and what this is, it's like, it, it is the emptiness of life. The emptiness of life. And so some of you may say, well, you know, like I struggle with the flesh stuff. I, I, I get that, like desires of the flesh. I struggle sometimes with the eye. You know, I just, sometimes I just want to put on that show like I got it all. But I do not struggle with the pride part. There is no way that I'm struggling with the pride part. And so I thought, you know what, I'm going to put it in the middle here. Just some questions that can help us to really think on this and say, am I a prideful person? Is, is this something that I struggle with? So I got this from a, a pastor. He, it was just called a pride test. And so I'm just going to ask you some questions real quick and then we'll score it at the end. Does that work? Okay. The first question is this. Um, do you need to be the center of attention? Do you need to be the center of attention? So what I'm talking about is like when you walk into a room, do you think, okay, everybody in this room, is either thinking of me or they should be thinking of me right now. Quick test. Some of you are like, ah, nah, that's not me. Second question. Do you get jealous or critical when others succeed? Ooh. Okay. Maybe. Jealous or critical. I don't, I'm not a jealous person, but maybe a little critical. They shouldn't get that job. Or I probably should have gotten that raise and they shouldn't have. Like that. Okay. Do you always have to be first or win? Okay. Scrabble champion, I get it. Like what? Okay. Always have to be first. Win. Do you have a pattern of lying? It's not really lying. It's just an exaggeration. It's just something that will make me look a little bit better in front of other people. Right? People don't really know the truth. So I can, I can, yeah. I got fourth place, but there are only four people in the competition. But yeah, I got fourth place. Like that really happened to me actually. Um, <laughs> pattern of line, just to make yourself look a little bit better, right? Do you have a hard time admitting that you're wrong? Just always right. 
always need to be right. I am always right, and I'm going to let people know. And so if, even if there's something questionable, right, I will argue in a way so much so that people will know that I am partially right. Just a little bit, just to hold on to that rightness because I have to be right. Do you have a lot of drama in your life? Does drama equal being prideful? Maybe. Jesus had some drama in his life, but he was very humble. But he came in contact with a lot of prideful people, right? There was always conflict there. But drama. Do you have a hard time giving credit to others? I need people to know that I did it. I was the one who did it. I should get the credit for it. Do you get mad when others don't acknowledge your accomplishments? They should have just, they they didn't even say thank you. They did not even say thank you to me. And so they, do you feel thankful for God's grace on your life and the things that you have? Or do you feel like I deserve it? I earned this. This is mine. Do you have trouble taking response, uh, personal responsibility for most of the problems in your life? Well, it's not really my fault. Nothing, it, everything just happened to me, so it's not my fault, right? Pointing fingers. See, all of these get deeper and deeper and deeper, right? And, and we could ask more and more questions, but here's the scoring, okay? Again, this is from this pastor. I thought it was very helpful, He says, here's how you score it. Um, One to 10, you're prideful. Zero, you're very prideful. Okay, so (laughs) that is the test, pride test. And, um, and, And let's be honest here. All of us have been tempted in some way to live like this. Maybe in some way we believe that this is the way we should live. And what I'm saying is, That is the temptation and the outward external struggle that you and I face to believe that that's how life should be. But God says opposite. He actually points to humility as the way of life, which is hard. See, it's the ways of the world and they can creep into our thinking and ways of being so easily. And John clearly tells us this way of life, this disorder is not from God. He says, this way of life is not from God. It is from self-centeredness. It's from the belief and the temptations that we face and saying, yep, that's how it should be. And so lastly, what do we do? Where's the hope? Thirdly, it's the decision. And then we can find it in verse 17. And And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. Here's the decision. We can either put our hope in the now and saying, yeah, I just want to do what I want to do now or in forever, in forever. Um, John breaks it down like this. He says, the world is passing away. The world is passing away. Like this way of life, the way that the world is right now. And and, and for us, this should be good news. 
Right, like he's saying, okay, if, if the love of the Father is in you, like the, the current way, the current structure of the world, the way that it is, that is passing away. And he says, the will of God abides forever. You may say, I want this, but, but what is the will of God? What is the will of God that abides forever? Well, Jesus answered that back in John, again, John 640. He says, for this is the will of my father, that everyone who looks on the son and believes in him should have eternal life and I will raise him up on the last day. Do you wanna know the will of God that lasts forever? It is rejecting and saying, I don't want to live that me-centered life anymore. And Lord, I, I want you. Jesus, I want you to come into my life. I want you to be at the center of my life. He says, everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him. See, what are we looking upon? We're looking upon a cross with a savior that's dying for the sins of the world. Anyone that looks upon the son, anyone who says, I want the son, I want him in my life. Anyone who says, I, I believe in him, I trust in him. He says, I will raise him up on the last day. This, the world is passing away. The will of God abides forever. You know, one of the things that I, I think about when it comes to like putting our, our trust in the world and just saying, man, I'm just gonna live for the material things and all the things that this world has to offer. I'm just gonna, this is how this world's gonna be. It, it reminds me of um, a story that my wife reminded me of yesterday um, when we took our kids uh, trick-or-treating, you know, around the mall uh, for the first time here in San Diego. And so it's like when we just first got here and uh, my son was about five at the time and then my daughters were three and two. So it was the first time that our little one actually knew what was going on. She's like, okay, there's candy here. I'm into this. And, um, and so we're walking around the mall, um, you know, collecting candy and then we get into the van and um, my youngest daughter is uh, eating her first piece of candy. She's enjoying it. And my son, who's five, he knows the drill. So he is probably on number 10, 11, 12 at that point. Um, and my daughter starts to eat more and more and more. And she, she turns to... My son, and she, she said, uh, her brother, she says, um, Kai, are you feeling sick? You know, she's just eating one. She's like, I'm starting to feel not good. And he's like, yeah. And then he just kept eating. <laughs> right? He's like, the, the answer is just to keep eating more candy. And, um, and she, like, smart and stopped. And... Um, and he threw up later that night, right? And so <clears throat> the, the, the reason I tell you that is, is because that is the world. That's the world. Like when we just keep consuming it and eating it and say, yeah, that's the answer. That's what I'm going to do. We will start to feel sick. 
It will. We weren't made for that. You and I weren't made for that. My, my son was not made for all of that candy in that bag that he was supposed to eat. Yeah, they said he was going to eat that night. And so we just came to consume it. And that, that's what the world is. There's no substance to it. But when God gives us an invitation to look upon the son, to look on Jesus, that should be good news because he says, that actually lasts forever. That actually has substance to it. Right? And so as John is, is working all of this out, one commentator writes, he says, the man of this world is doomed to disappointment, but the man of God is certain of everlasting joy. You're doomed to disappointment. It will be disappointing. It's the entropy in life. It is. But God says, trust in me, trust my son. You'll find everlasting joy. And so let me ask three questions as we wrap up here. The first one is this. Have you settled? Have you settled? Right, like last week we talked about are you struggling? Right, is there an actual struggle going on in your life? This week we're asking the question, have you settled? Have you settled for just the way that the world is and saying, yep, that's just how my life is. This is, this is what I'm gonna live for. It's just gonna be about me. And let me ask, is your life in disorder? Is it chaotic? And have you settled for that? C.S. Lewis in The Weight of Glory says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us like an ignorant child who, who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday by the sea, we are far too easily pleased. We are far too easily pleased. Is there something that says, yes, there is a divide in my life. There is a divide in my heart. And God, can you help me? Because I'm, settled, I'm settling for the things that are, are not of you. When God, you have something so much better. And God is giving us this invitation. That again, good news. So have you settled? The second question is this, are you different? Are you different? There should be a distinctness about us. You know, I was talking with a friend um, earlier this week and he talked about how he had started a business earlier in life. Um, he said it became very successful. And during that time, he said it was, he, he had the watch, he had the outfit, he had everything. And he said, then he lost his business. And he says, you know, now he's like, because I'm, he's like, I'm a Christian now and, and things are just different. He said he, he started a new business uh, two years ago. He's got like 30 employees and all these things are starting to grow and, and, and things are starting to happen again. He says, you know, but I, I don't have the things that I did before and I don't need it. He's like, I, I drive a Prius, man. Like, you know, like I don't need that, that stuff anymore. And the thing was like for him, there is a distinct difference that he looked on his life now and he says, okay, I am not that same person anymore because of what God's done in my life. And for you, so when you look at your life, do you say, well, uh, well am I distinctly different? 
than I've been in the past. You know, Augustine, an early church father, um, wrote about how he had struggled with a lot of temptation, a lot of temptation, um, lust, different, different temptations. And, and he was writing in his confessions about how he had struggled so much. And if you know Augustine's life, I mean, he wrote some of the things that we, again, still look at today and, and think, man, this is really helpful when thinking about God. And for years, he, he rejected God and rejected God and rejected God. And then he got to this place where he became a Christian. He's like, okay, but I still desire the world. I still want the world. He's like, Father, please help me to not desire the world like I do. But I really struggle with this. But then he got to this place in his life, and here's what he says. He, he, later in his life, here's what he says. He says, how sweet all at once it was for me to be rid of those fruitless joys which I had once feared to lose. And here's the answer. He says, you drove them from me. You who are the true, the sovereign joy, you drove them from me and took their place. Oh, Lord, my God, my light, my wealth, and my salvation. He said, what drove those things from me? What drove those, those desires of the world from me? He said, God did it. What he's talking about here is the love of the Father taking the place of his love for the world. And God wants to do that in our lives. And that's what makes us distinctly different. And it's a process. It's a process of God's grace and mercy on our lives. And so lastly, let me ask you, what takes priority? See, do we ultimately put our hope in this world and what we see now or the kingdom of God? Because Jesus, all throughout his ministry, talks about the kingdom of God. He talks about the kingdom of God. He says in, in, in Matthew 6.33, seek first the kingdom of God and all these things will be added to you as well. Right, so he talks about the kingdom of God. And what happens is as we start to pursue God's kingdom, what God desires, what God wants, our lives start to change. Early church father Clement wrote about Christians. Here's what he wrote about early Christians. He says, he impoverishes himself out of love so that he is certain he may never overlook a brother in need, especially if he knows he can bear poverty better, better than his brother he likewise considers the pain of another as his own pain. And if he suffers any hardship because of having given out of his own poverty, he does not complain. He says, that's what a Christian looked like in the early church. That, that's what a Christian looked like as we say, okay, no longer do I want the, the love of the world and desire the love of the world, but actually love the Father, love God. And how did this work out in history? Well, there was this devastating plague that swept across the ancient world in the third century. And here's what happened. Christians were the only ones who cared for the sick, which they did at the risk of contracting the plague themselves. Meanwhile, people who didn't believe in God, who rejected God, were throwing infected members of their own families into the streets even before they died in order to protect themselves from the disease. That's what happened. And as God took priority in the early Christians' lives, 
they started to believe that actually there is hope, an everlasting hope in God. So, well, yeah, but how does this happen in my life? How, how does this happen? Again, it's, it's, it's when we are no longer controlled by the love of this world, but by the love of a Father in heaven. It's when we put this, start to put our confidence in God and say, I trust you. See, it's when we look at Jesus saying this in John 16, 33. He said, I've said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation. You know what the, world, the, the, the word he uses here for world is? Cosmos. In this disordered, chaotic world, you better believe that you will have trouble. Tribulation. But then he says this, but take heart. I have overcome the cosmos. I have overcome the disorder. Do you want to know how you overcome, how, how this world no longer controls your life? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. It's when we look to him and say, God, I have some inward struggles, but also external struggles that are affecting me in my life. And Lord, I need you. I need you. I can't overcome it, but Jesus, you can. So I invite you today to look to him, to find hope in Christ, and to know that he's the good news that lasts for eternity. Let's pray. Jesus, uh, we come to you just asking for your help, for your guidance, for your protection, Lord. And that you help us to know that, God, you are enough in all that we go through in life, that you are enough. So we pray that today you'll change us from the inside out. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from Grace City Church. If you found this helpful, feel free to share it and enjoy more resources at gracecitysd.com. Grace City Church exists to equip people with the gospel for everyday life.